Galatians chapter 3. When I was growing up, I was taught that there are two ways to play football. One way was to have a really strong defense. If you ask Nick Saban how do you play football, Nick Saban will tell you that you need to have a really strong defense. And he'd have some credibility in saying so because it's not just the University of Alabama who is good, but Coach Saban won a championship even before Alabama. But the other way to play good football is to have a good offense. The last couple of weeks we've talked about what does it mean to be an adopted son and daughter of the king. If you have not only been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but you have, in addition to becoming legally declared righteous before the Father, that you have become His child through adoption in Jesus Christ. We've said that adoption is becoming part of the Father's family through Jesus. If that's true of you, then you need to learn how to not only play defense, not only know what to do when you're struggling with bitterness and you need to forgive, or you're struggling with shame and you need to know how to move forward, not only when your back is against the wall, so to speak, but how do you go on the offensive? What do people who are called God's people, His children, do? Yes, they pray. Yes, they do worship. Yes, they go on mission trips. Yes, they evangelize. But the first offensive weapon the church gives us in Scripture is that they are a community. So let's look together at Galatians chapter 3 and then at John 17. And let's see how the Lord calls us as His adopted sons and daughters to become one. One new humanity. I'll begin reading at verse 24 of Galatians chapter 3. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And then in John 17, beginning at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus prays to his Father for us. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrated myself that they also might be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, 
But God's word stands forever, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Guys, this is our moment. Like people of God, there is no better time in history to be a Christian than right now. Because the world is incredibly divided. If you ask the Council of Foreign Relations, show me where the hotspot zones are in the world. Where are the wars going on this very moment? These are the wars that are going on in the world that our country considers significant. The green are where those battles are localized. The orange are where they are not spreading. And the red are critical wars. I mean, just take your pick. The civil war in Syria, the North Korean crisis, the territorial dispute in the South China Sea, tensions in the East China Sea, the war against the Islamic State, the Taliban in Afghanistan, the civil war in Libya. Which one do you want to talk about? And not only are those wars happening now, but here's a map that shows how those wars are progressing. The green shows the areas of the world where those wars are improving. Go to the slide where it shows no green. Because there are no improving wars, according to the Council of Foreign Relations. The orange ones show where it's not getting worse, and the red ones show where things are really falling apart. And this isn't just true of us globally, it's also true of us nationally, isn't it? I mean, think about where we are as a country. Listen, people are calling for the president to get his act together. People are calling for Congress to get their act together. There are fingers being pointed at Republicans. There are fingers being pointed at Democrats. There are fingers being pointed at evangelicals. There are fingers being pointed at the media. We have no more fingers left to point. It is divided, isn't it? Like, think about conversations in your own family. Like, even in your own family, it's hard to talk about certain topics right now because there are deep divisions. Or let's talk about Tulsa for a minute. You want to? Just this week, what did we find out? We're back in the national news. Why? Because a white police officer named Betty Shelby was acquitted of killing an unarmed black man named Clarence, I just went blank on his last name, Terrence Crutcher. Crutcher, thank you. I totally forgot his name, so thank you for reminding me. Terrence Crutcher. So the Crutcher family has to deal with this acquittal. And we think in Owasso that, listen, it's not that big of a deal. We don't know Betty Shelby, we don't know Terrence Crutcher, but it happened five miles away from us. And today in the Philadelphia Tribune, there's a big article about race relations in the U.S., and it actually talks a lot about Tulsa all the way up in Pennsylvania. And it's not far from us. I mean, if you just read some of the writing from the paper this week, Rhonda Washington, mother of two, says, I have a 20-year-old son, and I feel like he can barely leave the house because I'm scared something could happen to him. It doesn't matter that he's been raised right, she said. It's terrible to have to live in captivity and fear in North Tulsa. Listen, along the east and the west coasts, the church is pretty heavily integrated racially. And they don't really feel the need 
to talk about race relations as much. But here in the Midwest and the South, the church is not very heavily integrated racially. And quite frankly, we don't really understand how to talk about it. But we must. Because whether it's on the global stage or the national stage or the local stage, there are deep, deep divisions, aren't there? I mean, do you remember it was years ago whenever body cameras became part and parcel of police work, there was a man who was beaten and uh, it was a horrible incident in Los Angeles and there were riots throughout Los Angeles. Do you remember this? And the civic leaders took this young man with his blackened eye and a bandage on his nose and a busted lip. Rodney King was his name, do you remember? And they put him in front of the cameras. And what did Rodney King say? To his rioting Los Angeles community, he said, can't we all just get along? And the answer to that question is, well, no. No, we cannot. Because all of history bears witness to the fact that we can't just get along unless something supernaturally happens in the human heart. John 17 is where Jesus prays for you, that you might be one, that we might be one together before the world. Guys, there is no better time to be a Christian than right now. Are you ready for the challenge? Take out your sermon outline and let's look together at what it means to be a community of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world right now for His glory, unified, not divided. First, Jesus calls us to community. Jesus prays that we would be one. Three times in His farewell discourse, He prays this. In verses 21, 22, and 23, he prays that they, all believers, all who believe in the apostles' word, all who believe in the gospel, that we would be one across socioeconomic, across racial lines. We would be one people. He goes on to say that they would be perfectly one in verse 23. Jesus has been teaching his disciples in the upper room what it means just before he dies to be his hands and feet in the world after he no longer is with us. That he, according to John 14, 16, and 14, 26, is going to give us the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, to be the one who comes alongside us to help us be one when it gets hard to be one. And he says, I want you to love one another. Three times he tells them that. Love one another. And then Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Psalm 33, we read earlier that Charlie read, gives us a picture of what it means for brothers to be one. How good and pleasant it is, is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's like oil being poured down the high priest's beard, going down to the tassels of his robe. It means refreshment. It means being set apart. It means where in the world amidst the chaos of the wars and the political instability and the local tensions... Where do we see a picture of peace? Jesus says they should see it in the church. Oh, Father, that they may be one 
as you and I are one. Jesus calls us to community. Community was shattered. We became unone in the very beginning. Whenever Adam and Eve decided to not be one with God anymore. And do you remember what God came after Adam and he said, Adam, what's up? And what did Adam say to God? The woman. The woman. She did it. And what do you think Eve said? Oh, great, Adam, thanks a lot. Like, you just stood there. And you know why you just stood there? Because you always just stand there and do nothing. You're so passive. You don't lead. You just sit back and listen. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And then God looks at Adam and he says, the woman that you gave me. And he shifts the blame toward God. And ever since then, guys, we have been spiraling out of control. Generation after generation after generation with the advancements of technology and greater education and the depletion of hunger across the world. Isn't it interesting that our struggles and our turmoils don't seem to decrease? Why? Because as Scripture says, the problem is deep inside the human heart. In fact, Alexander Solzhenitsyn in 1984, in this great speech in the West, a Russian was speaking at Harvard. And what did he say? He said, the problem is not between the East and the West. The problem is that the line of good and evil cuts right down the center of the human heart. And who wants to admit that they have a divided heart? Well, Jesus says, I'll tell you who admits it. It's Christians. Because community happens first when Christians are humbled by the fact that they cannot fix this problem. But the first step in fixing the problem is when the local community, the local church becomes one. So that when people come into our church, they can see a diverse group of people. And I don't just mean racially, I mean politically, and I mean educationally, and I mean socioeconomically. I mean in every way you can be diverse. And people go, my gosh, Something supernatural has happened here. That's what I long to see us become. There is no better time to be a Christian than now. Are you ready for that challenge? In the early church, Christianity began as a sect of Judaism. And pretty soon after Pentecost, the majority of the Christian world resided not in Palestine or around Jerusalem. It resided outside of Israel. It resided in the Roman world. And in the Roman world, the Christians were called Hellenists. They spoke Greek. But meanwhile, in Israel and around Palestine, they spoke Hebrew. And so eventually, while the Hellenists would come and resettle or visit Jerusalem again, they would come back for Passover or they would resettle in Jerusalem, there was this major language barrier, even in the church. And people gave money to care for the widows but all of the care for the widows were going to the Hebrew widows and not to the Greek widows. And the apostles in Acts chapter 6 said, wait, this is not right. And so they appointed seven men, deacons in the church, to care for all the widows in the church, especially the Greek widows who had been overlooked. This has been the situation in the church for a long time. 
And we have to be able to look at the resources Scripture gives us and the resources that we have as a church and help meet the felt needs in our community and in our church. Are you ready for that challenge? Do you even know what those needs are? Are you asking? Do you know in your community groups, not just how well do we understand what the sermon was about, but do you know the deep family struggles in your community groups? The church, friends, is the hope of the world because it is the extension of Jesus' presence now. Are you up for the task? Are you ready for the challenge? People sometimes say to me, listen, we don't need the church. Where is membership in the New Testament? Listen, almost every book in the New Testament was written to a church, which assumes that there are members who are gathering together. You know, asking the question of, you know, where does it say in the New Testament where it says I must be a member of the church, it's assumed in all of Scripture that you are a member of the church. It's kind of like, as one of my friends said, asking the questions whether the Bible assumes that you're a church member is kind of like, it's, it's kind of like asking the PGA golf manual if you're a human being. Like, it assumes that you're human. All the scripture assumes that you're a member of Christ's church. There's a, a pastor friend of mine who's from Michigan I came down to the deep south, and, you know, in Michigan, they don't know what grits are, grits, and saw grits on the menu, and he asked the waitress, he said, what is a grit? And she said, honey, a grit don't come by itself. You can't get just one. Friends, Christians don't come by themselves. You can't get just one. We're called Christians because we need each other, because Jesus calls us to community. What's the model? Well, Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit are the model for community. Jesus says, the model of, the, of community is the Holy Trinity. What does he pray in verse 21, John 17, 21? That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. I in them, and you in me, that they may be one. The first question we ask of the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And what does it mean to glorify Him? It means to delight in Him, to defer to Him, to honor Him. And God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons. They're the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And the early church had a name for this, trying to figure out how do we explain the Trinity? And they would watch a Greek dance 
where there were three dancers and they would whirl and twirl and they would dance together with such speed and such rhythm that eventually as you watch this dance, there were three of them, but they became one. And then they'd separate out and become three and then they'd become one. And the Greek dance was called the perichoresis. That is the name we say, we call the Trinity, that there is a divine dance, perimeter, around, peri, choresis, choreography, to dance, to dance around. That is what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are doing. It is like, it is the divine dance. Have any of you guys had daughters that are in ballet or that are in dance? Have you, any of you have daughters? Yes, I see those hands sheepishly. Thank you. Have you ever had, been through the hazing ritual of a daddy-daughter dance? I mean, the joy of a daddy-daughter dance? They mean business at these daddy-daughter dances. And you have to learn the steps and the choreography and the rhythm. Like, if the model, if the model for what it means to be a community is the dance of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, if that was the model, just, just imagine as one, one theologian says, each of the divine persons of the Trinity centers upon the other. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring in love and delight and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves and adores and defers and rejoices in the other. And that creates a dynamic of pulsating, a pulsating dance of joy and love. And friends, we get to share in that. We get to share in becoming one. It staggers the imagination to think about Jesus praying that we may be one as he and the Father are one. That we would be caught up into the pulsating dance of love and joy that is the community of God. What if, what if church didn't just mean no more bass fishing on Sunday? What if it meant come to the dance? When I come home sometimes at my house, there's music playing many times during the week and my kids are like having this impromptu dance party as, as Lauren gets dinner ready. And one day I came in and my little girl was dancing like crazy and she looked at me and she goes, shut up and dance with me. And I said, what did you say to me? And she said, no, daddy, that's the name of the song. Shut up and dance. Have you heard this song? It's like this, the music video is like of this shy guy who's at the dance and he really doesn't know, like he wants to ask this girl and he's really timid about it and she walks up to him and she just goes, would you shut up and dance with me? And all, many people have their objections lined up. They have their list of defeaters of why they can't be part of the church. And it's like Jesus just says in the tenderest only the way Jesus can say, would you just shut up and come to the dance? Like, what if church on Sunday didn't mean, okay, no more tea time at 7 a.m. on Sundays? What if it didn't mean, what am I giving up to come to church? What if it meant come to the dance? Like, what if it meant come dance with us? Like, what if it meant come be a part of us? Come sing and shout and enjoy what it means to be a community in a world overcome with violence and national division and local dissension. 
What if the community of God was the dance of God that changed the world? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Jesus says that the model of the Christian community is the Trinity himself. What does Jesus want us to see, therefore? He, Jesus wants us to see that the practice, the presence and the practice of community changes the world. He says earlier in John, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, so that the world may believe. In verse 23 of your text in John 17, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you love me. Community is missional. The community of God changes the world. Are you ready for that challenge? God, the Holy Spirit, was sent by the Son to indwell believers so that we might be one. Not better than others. We're not better than the Baptists. We're not better than the Methodists. Listen, we don't even talk about the divisions in the denominations in our new members class very much. Why? Because we have so much that we agree upon. Would you stop talking about the difference and would you just look at the gospel and would you sing and come to the dance? The dance of God changes the world. Would you just shut up and dance? We ask our children, can you see God <laughs> in the children's catechism? And the answer is no. God is a spirit. He does not have a body like men. I cannot see God. Then I love this part. But he always sees me. God's invisible. He is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like men. But how does the world see God? Yes, they see them through natural revelation. They see them through the world. But do you know how he sees them specifically? In you and in me. As we together, as the cross-shaped community in Owasso and in Tulsa and in Bartlesville, become his hands and feet, the healing balm of the world to the world. The dance of God changes the world. Come to the dance. Julian <clears throat> wrote a letter many, many years ago, Emperor Julian, to Arsacius around the year 360. It's a famous letter. You've heard me read it before. I'm going to read it to you again. It says, For it is disgraceful when no Jew is a beggar. Ju Julian, a pagan Roman emperor, is writing to a lieutenant. He's thinking about the amazing way that Christians care for people in the ancient Roman world. It is a disgrace when no Jew is a beggar and the impious Galileans, what they called Christians, support our poor in addition to their own. Everyone is able to see that our co-religionists are in want of aid from us. Teach also those who profess the Greek religion to contribute to such services to be like the Galileans. And the villages of the Greek religion to offer the first fruits to the God. He's saying, would you please step up and be like those Christians because they're not only caring for their own poor, but they're caring for my poor. Acacia Woodley was on to something. She was a third grader in 10th grade. She was tired of getting bullied at her school in Florida. She was worn out by it. She was embarrassed. And so she went to her teachers and she raised money. 
And she created these Adirondack chairs that are all hand-painted, and they have sayings on them. And when you sit in these double Adirondack chairs on the playground in her Florida school, they're called friendship benches. Whenever you need a friend, you come sit on the bench, and somebody comes up next to you and invites you to play or just comes and sits and learns your name. And she was on to something because soon after Acacia Woodley did this in 2010, then school districts began to create what are called buddy benches which are more industrialized looking benches that they're putting across all sorts of school districts in America with the term buddy bench on the back so that when you need a friend, you just come sit on the bench and you're teaching young elementary school kids to not bully, but to go and join a buddy on the bench, invite them to play, become a friend of them. She was on to something because, listen, loneliness is not just making us lonely, but it is making us sick. In fact, it's killing us. Several major studies in the last 12 months have come out that show that elderly people and social isolation concluded. The studies on those who are elderly and people in social isolation concluded that those without adequate social interventions were twice as likely to die prematurely. There's an increased mortality risk across the age spectrums that is comparable to that of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is about twice as dangerous as obesity. Social isolation impairs the immune function and boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis and type 2 diabetes and heart disease. All of our internet interactions aren't helping, and they may be making things worse, this study said. A study of Facebook users found that the amount of time you spend on social networking sites is inversely related to how happy you feel throughout the day. Listen, loneliness is not just breaking our hearts, but it is breaking our bodies. Dr. Richard Schwartz, who's a Cambridge psychiatrist, and his wife put out a book called Lonely, The Lonely American Drifting Apart in the 21st Century, where he said the public health dangers of loneliness are incredibly clear. And he writes, especially those of us who have children, he says when people with children become overscheduled, they don't shortchange their children, they shortchange their friendships. Listen, I needed community. When I was a campus minister, in the Northeast, it was a lonely place to do ministry. And I wanted a church plant, and I wanted to see green country come ablaze with the gospel, and I wanted to see churches planted. But a big pull of why Lauren and I moved to Tulsa was because there was another brother and his family who said, if you come to Tulsa, we will meet every week, you and I, and we will lock arms together and we'll plant churches in this area. Every week. And for me, in midst of ministry, that as all of our jobs can be, ministry is not more lonely perhaps than other jobs. That was like honey. And so three of us began to meet, and three became four, and four became five. And now every Monday, there's nine pastors that get together. And when Scott Mitchell moves here this summer, that'll be ten. Every Monday, our band of brothers meet together. And those guys know within ten seconds of me walking in that room how I'm doing. And TJ knows, he goes to this lunch. It's, there's a luncheon this year at the PCA General Assembly that is about planting churches. 
And they can ask whoever they want to to come speak about it. And they've asked some of us that meet every Monday to come to that luncheon. Why? Because the dance of God changes the world. And it starts with pastors. And it starts with community group leaders. And it starts with you. Who are your band of brothers? One of the reasons why we do community groups at this church is because you need a band of brothers and sisters. And they take time. It is not easy. Of course it's not easy because you're in the group. And I'm in the group. But Dan Agosto is going to stand at the welcome table after the service, and there are clipboards. And this summer, we're going to have a number of community groups. Would you please put your name down so that we can at least invite you to it? I know it's busy. We're all traveling this summer. But please don't give up on community. When you get overscheduled, you're not going to sacrifice your family or your children. You're going to sacrifice your friendships. You've got to make time for it. This week in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article about all of the uh, Christians in the Middle East who were being persecuted. And there was a story about how the Middle East used to actually be a pretty heavily Christianized area. Of course it was in the ancient Near East. And there's always been a large population of Christians. But in the last 10 years, the Christian population has just plummeted. And there's a story in this article about the Al-Azwad family. It was a Christian family who they fled Mosul, which is the second largest city in Iraq. The persecution got too much for them. The patriarch of this family was a bricklayer. He had built half the mosques and the churches and the buildings in Mosul. Mosul, it's a large city. And before they decided to leave town, he took in a plastic bag all of his family photos, and it says that he gave it to his neighbor. And his neighbor's name was Mr. Abu Hassan. When, Mr. When, when the Aswads fled Mosul with her husband and three children and in-laws in June of 2014, when the Islamic State took control of the city by rioting Iraqi security forces, they left a bag of family photo albums with their Muslim neighbor, Ahmed Abu Hassan, for safekeeping. And it was a risk for Mr. Hassan under the Islamic State rules to keep such a prized possession and one he took gladly. And Mr. Hassan could not protect his neighbor's home from being used as an extremist group headquarters for their fighters. Weeds covered a cherished garden now where a tangerine tree once grew and Mr. Habu, Abu Hassan yearns to see his old friends. And listen to this. All hope is lost from Mosul, a Muslim says. But when the Christians come back, hope will return to Mosul. It's not just Emperor Julian saying this in the fourth century, friends. This is true of us in 2017. When the church in Owasso becomes the beautiful picture of Jesus, hope is experienced. When those who've been going to church their whole life see the beauty of the gospel of grace, that they've done nothing to earn their salvation, but they look to Jesus, who's making us one. We're Christians who do not like to see each other in research can run to one another and ask forgiveness of each other and reconcile. Where churches divided can be able to worship together. Where pastors know pastors, where brothers know brothers, where sisters know sisters. Listen, it's not easy. And it, it takes time 
All I'm asking is that you come join the dance. Come join the dance. The church of God is the dance of God that changes the world. Are you ready for that challenge? It is impossible unless your heart has been supernaturally changed by your Savior who came to show us what true community looked like and that he deferred to the other. Wouldn't it be amazing if people said of Trinity Presbyterian Church, each of the members of Trinity centers upon the other. None demands that others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the others, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each member of Trinity adores, loves, defers, and rejoices in the others. That created a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. Listen, it's not about giving up your group or fishing on Sunday or your bass. It's about coming to join the dance. Are you ready for it? Shut up, Jesus says, and come dance with me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that community for us seems very abstract. Would you help make it more concrete by helping us join community groups even informally, being a community, inviting others over for dinner. I pray particularly for those, Father, who have been wounded by the church. I pray, Father, that you would help them to see that you've called them to a great dance, that their healing will happen as they dance, that they won't be afraid to get back on that dance floor. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you invite us into the great Trinitarian dance that you share together with your Father and the Holy Spirit. Now in part we see it, and one day we shall see it fully. Help us to be your hands and feet in this world, for the dance of God changes the world. We need your help. Do it for your glory, Father, we pray. And start with us, in Jesus' name, amen.